If you know anything about sports, and this obviously is going to apply to a lot more than sports, but you've heard the term uh, a game changer. That something that happens that changes the outcome of a game. One, one it can be a player. If a, if a great player enters the game or a great player leaves the game, it can change the game. The game can be changed for the better or the worse. Or maybe it's a play that uh, for one team is a great play and for the other team it's a terrible play, but it can change the, it can change the outcome of the game. We've all seen games where an umpire or an official made a call that was uh, not a good call, and it was a game changer. Well, this evening in Judges chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, Judges 6, we are looking at Gideon. We're going to be looking at Gideon for several Sunday nights. He and Samson, who we're looking at on Sunday morning, get the most press in this book of Judges. But we're going to look, I want to look at four things this evening. That if you would let sink from your head to your heart, these will change your game. They'll change your life. They really can. They have that potential. They all go together uh, as a, a, a hand into a glove. So let's look at these and let's begin with this. Here's number one. God sees you for who you can be. Isn't that great? God sees you. This is a game changer. God sees you this evening. Not looking at your past, that's who you are. God sees you this evening and he's not looking at just simply who you are or who you are physically or who you're not. God looks at you and he sees who you can be. Isn't that great? Uh, And and this story begins, Judges chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 11 and 12. And it's, it's very interesting. It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak uh, in Ophrah, that belonged to Joash, the Abazarite. Why couldn't it just say a Rustonite or something? He's just brutal. Where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. What's going on here? Well, God uh, is calling out Gideon to be the leader the military leader of, uh, of Israel. They are getting squashed, if you were here last Sunday night or Wednesday night, by the Midianites and the Amalekites. I mean, they're getting overran. It's been going on seven years. They're getting beat down. And God comes to this man and he says, you are going to be the person that's going to lead Israel to victory. Now, that's awesome, isn't it? Well, it is awesome, especially when you consider who Gideon was at this particular time of the journey. Now, this is very easy for us to miss. It says that he was, he was uh, doing his wheat work. He was thrashing the wheat in a wine press. Now, I, I grew up around farms and spent some time on a farm, but I, we didn't thrash wheat, and we certainly didn't have a wine press. What's going on here? Well, it, this is unusual because you normally wheat was thrashed in kind of the, the community. It was normally a place where there was a hard dirt floor or stone floor, and lots of people could come in. It might, might be in a really big room, and it was outdoors. They would use animals to help them. And part of it being outdoors in a big area is the wind would blow the chaff away and just save the, the wheat, the good stuff. It says he's in a wine press. Now, a wine press was, um, was basically a, a square or a circle cut 
or dug out of the ground or in a rock. It was in a, basically, a wine press was down in a hole. And it was small where a wine press, I mean, a, a thrashing uh, room or area, all of us might could get in there. A wine press, one or two people. You did not thrash wheat in a wine press unless something was bad wrong. If something was bad wrong. And it's either one of two things. Either Gideon was very smart because he knew the Midianites were going to come in and steal his wheat. Uh, and it was probably both of these, or he was a coward. <laughs> he went down in this hole to do his work because he didn't want to face these people. In verse 13, listen to his response. The angel said, God's called you, you mighty warrior. In verse 13, he says, but sir, he's polite. Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Doesn't this sound familiar? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hands of the Midianites. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like Norman Vincent Peale and positive thinking, does it? It doesn't sound like a guy of great faith right there. And, and it just continues in verse 15. But Lord Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. He was from the Abzir clan of Manasseh. The weakest clan in the tribe of Manasseh. And he says, I'm a nobody in a nobody tribe. Verse 27 you flip over, and we'll talk about this more in a moment. This is him later on, probably the same evening. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. Are you tracking with me? Gideon was a fraidy cat. Perry Lassiter uh, is a, most of you know pa Perry. He was a pastor. He started pastoring in the Civil War and pastored up... Uh, until about five, ten years ago, Perry's a great guy, a great preacher, great Bible scholar. Perry uh, emailed me last Wednesday night, and he goes, When the angel said to Gideon, you mighty warrior, he must have been smirking. <laughs> Perry said, I think he was being sarcastic. And Perry, some of the commentaries I read this week said the same thing. It's like the angel's going, mighty warrior, <laughs> mighty warrior. I'm just kidding, mighty warrior. But you know what is absolutely unbelievable about this? One, Gideon's got a pretty good attitude as far as he's humble. But he's beat down too. And he's broken down. But isn't it awesome God saw him for who he could be? Isn't it awesome God saw him for who he could be, for his potential? I wonder this evening if you're looking at your past and your failures instead of looking at what God can do through you and with you. I heard a young man tell a story happened years ago. His football team was getting demolished in the first half of the game, and they came in at halftime. And one of the coaches came in and sat him down and said, you guys are the worst team I've ever coached. You're a bunch of losers. You're getting killed. You're going to go out the second half and get destroyed. And he walked out of the room. He said, another coach walked in behind him, and he said, you know what? When I look at you boys, I don't see losers. I see lions. Lions are the king of the jungle. And I don't see a few lines. I see a pride. A pride is a group of lines. And anywhere in the jungle, the pride goes, they dominate. They live together, they sleep together, and they kill together. They're the most majestic and dominant animal in the jungle. What I see is a pride of lines. They went out the second half and won the ball game because the coach saw what they could do 
Folks, that doesn't mean we ignore the past. You don't make corrections. But I want to tell you a game changer this evening. Other people look at you and they see your past. Other people look at you and they see what you can't do. Amen? (laughs) They see your limitations. They see your IQ scores. (laughs) But God looks at you tonight and he sees what he can do with you. He sees your potential. You let that sink from here to here, that's a game changer. Here's a second game changer. Get God's directions for your life. Get the direction you need for your life. Some of you this evening, you are directionless. You think God has left you here to consume calories and oxygen. Verse 14, look at what God says. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in your strength, you Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? God's going to give him the specifics more in the near future. But here's what God did through this angel. He said to Gideon, number one, I see you for who you can be. Number two, I want to show you the way you need to go with your life. Here was a guy thrashing wheat. In the wine press, beaten down and hidden. And God's saying to him, I want you to go out and change your country. Gideon's second thing that changed his game was when he got God's direction. Are you getting God's direction for your life? How much time do you read your Bible? Listen, I dare you, especially some of you who are younger, maybe not even younger, check out how much time you spend on the computer, Facebook, Twitter. Snapchat, whatever it is you do, versus how much time you spend in the Bible. Oh, God, speak to me. Open your Bible and read it. Sorry, that was mean, but please. Pray and listen to the Holy Spirit. Ask God. God, God's not trying to hide stuff from you. You're in church tonight. That's awesome. You know, one of the purposes of church is to get God's direction. Men, how many of you have heard that men don't like to ask for directions? How many of you women agree with that? Let me tell you why, scientifically, we're just that smart. Amen, guys? We just, we just don't need it. Now, li- li- preach it. Amen. That's the, most, that's the most enthusiasm I've gotten from these men in 12 and a half stinking years. Okay. American Psychological Journal several years ago published an article to psychologists factually laying out how men do not ask directions, do not ask for advice. That's not just a myth. That's just not something your your wife thinks. We are that way. The article talked about how that we don't like to ask directions, how to get to places. We don't like to go to the doctor and listen to the doctor like we should. We certainly don't listen to our wife or ask her for advice. And when we're suffering with things like depression or things like that, we certainly don't want to go to a counselor. They ended the article by saying this, men are cutting their life short physically and certainly from joy, effectiveness, and happiness because of their arrogance and their pride, they won't seek direction. Well, here's another thing. Some of you are seeking it in the wrong places. 
you'll call 1-800-READ-MY-FINGER or EAR or whatever and ask for your future. Don't do that for a lot of reasons. Are you listening to the wrong people? Are you go with your feeling and your emotions? True story, a lady, a lady in Brussels, that's in Europe, was going to go see a friend in another area in Belgium. It was a 90-mile trip. 1,000 miles later, the police finally were able to stop her and help her. Now, she was 67. She wasn't suffering from any known dementia. She had set her GPS, and she followed her GPS through about 10 tanks of gas, through a couple of of long extended times of sleeping on the side of the highway, crossing five international borders. And when her kids finally got to her, they said, Mama, why did you not figure out you're going the wrong way at mile 900? She said, my GPS was telling me this is the right way. I'm not anti-GPS, but it isn't God. And neither is that friend that's whispering trash in your ear. And neither is that advice you may be getting from some book that may or may not be godly. You need advice from God. Men, you've got to humble yourselves and seek God. Get your nose in your Bible. Pray and listen. Do what you're doing tonight. Be in church as much as you can. It's a game changer when we know what God wants us to do. And listen, a lot of us, if we just open our eyes and listen, we get a whole lot more direction and our lives will be a whole lot better. Let me tell you something I know from experience. When you know God sets your course, there is peace and power and joy there that you won't have anywhere else. Get God's direction for whatever it is you need it for specifically and and generically in your life. Here's the third thing. Again, all these go together. Make sure God's hand is with you. We've talked about this several times in the book of Judges. What does this mean? Because the Bible tells us, and I told you Sunday morning, the Bible says God is always with us. What does it mean God's hand's with us? It means God's favor, God's blessings, and God's power. You see, God can be with me, but his blessings may not be on me. So that's the problem with some of us tonight. God's, God's there, but the way we're living, God's power's not on our life. Look in verse 12. In verse 16, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Verse 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you and I will strike down all the Midianites together. In verse 12, that word Lord is the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's the covenant name for God. It it literally is the concept of God being with you. That little word with there is a Hebrew word that means beside you. It means uh, behind you. It means abiding in you. What God was telling Gideon is he said, listen, I see your potential. I see how things could be in your life. Here's my direction. And by the way, I have just given you a task that you absolutely cannot do on your own. But I'm going with you. Isn't that awesome? What he needed more than anything else was to hear that God's favor, God's power was going to be with him. I want to ask you this evening, are you living under the favor of God? 
It's not magical. It's not mystical. Part of, part of the key is going to be what I'm going to talk about in just a second. Are you living in a way that God can bless you, your life, your family, your marriage, your kids, your relationships? God's always with you, his presence, but is God's favor on your life? Certainly can be. Martin Luther King Jr. tells a great story in his life in 1956. 1956 was about 30 years before I was born. It was before I was born, I promise you. Cindy was like 10, but I was not. Just teasing, just teasing. Martin Luther King said he went home one night, 1956, and he said he was depressed, he was tired, hard day. You know, let just be very frank, being an African-American in the South in 1956 was not a great deal. He lays down with his wife to go to bed. He gets a phone call. Somebody begins to curse him and tell him they're going to kill him. said he got those phone calls all the time, but tonight it just seemed to hurt worse. He hung up the phone, and he went to the kitchen. And he did something you never do if you want to go back to sleep. He put a pot of coffee on. Will Sanders would do that, wouldn't he, Gene? And so he said he began to drink coffee, and he began to cry. And he began to cry out to God, and God, you know, what's going on? He said it's clear as anything he's ever sensed from the Lord. He said he felt God say to him, I'm with you. My presence, my power, I am with you. He said that's all I needed to hear. That's all I needed to hear was that the favor and the power of God was with me. You know, this evening, I don't know what you're facing, but you need to get God's direction. You need to line up under God. And if you've got the favor of God on you, you know what? That's all you need. That's all you need. If you're taking notes, write this down. One plus God equals a majority. One plus God equals a majority. When Cindy and I were lucky enough to be in Israel a few years ago, we got to look at the Valley of Megiddo. And, you know, that's where we believe that last battle is going to happen between God and Satan. And I've looked at that, and I know some of you, Andy and Bobby, others of you have seen that, and it, is, it sends chills up your spine to think that there may be millions upon millions of soldiers there fighting against Jesus. But I was thinking in my mind, man, I hope I'm here. Because if I'm with Jesus, it doesn't matter if there's 10 billion of them, we're going to whip them. <laughs> One plus God equals a majority. Listen, you can't do anything of value without God. You can do everything of value with God. You can't do anything of value without God. You can do anything of value with God. Get the favor of God in your life. And here's the last thing. The last thing. Deal with the sin in your life. Deal with the sin in your life. Again, these all go together because all this probably happened in one day. You, you can't separate these. These all go together. Verse 25 through 27, that same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. 
Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height, using the wood of the asher pole that you cut down. Offer the second bulls a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him, because he was afraid of his family and the men of that town. He did it at night rather than in the daytime. What's going on here? Well, a lot of things. Obviously, Gideon's father and his family, and we're going to see in a moment, this may have been kind of like a community shrine. They, they were worshiping false gods. What, what was Baal? Baal was a general name for the gods of this area, fertility gods, the, the gods of rain, gods of thunder, gods of uh, lightning. Asherah was the female goddess. Uh, it also used as the Asherah pole. It may have been a, a, a literal tree or a pole they put up, and they worship false gods. And they also used bulls in the sacrifices to these false gods. That junk had to go. Here's what God told Gideon. <laughs> this is great. He goes, you go and tear down that false, that false altar. Tear it down. You go get the seven-year-old bull. Now, if you're not a farmer or a rancher, here's the deal with a seven-year-old bull. A bull doesn't get to be seven-year-old by accident most of the time. Farmer takes bulls and, and little baby bulls, and he makes steers out of them. That is not a bull anymore. I won't go into any more detail than that. Talk to your parents when you get home. Those either become working animals or they become hamburger meat. I talked to Fred Baxter today about this. A seven-year-old bull is probably a prime bull. He's the one fathering all the calves. And so to take the seven-year-old bull is to take the best bull you got. God says, you tear down the false altar. And by the way, you can even use that false altar as wood to get the real one going. Build a real altar, sacrifice the best bull to the real God, and then we'll get on to the business of, of getting this country back in line. You know what God told Gideon? Get your house in order. See, a lot of us are worried about America. I'm worried about America, but how's your house? How's your backyard? How's the junk in your life? Tear it down is what God says. You see, I can't have the favor and the presence and the blessing of God in my life if there's a bunch of idols propped up all over my life. Someone said it's like going to your boss for advice and you set up a meeting and you show up an hour late. The first thing you do is don't start asking for advice. You, you apologize. You repent. And before we go to God for blessings and advice and help, many of us need to repent and tear down the junk and put Jesus back as the Lord. See, that was symbolic of saying tear down the false stuff and build up the real stuff. That's what God's telling us to do. And see, to have the favor, the blessings, and the direction of God... I've got to make a decision. You've got to make a decision, whether it's my mouth, my temper, my lust, my selfishness, my lack of service, my lack of giving, my horrible attitude, that I'm going to tear it down and put the right stuff back up in its place. That's what God's saying. So it's decision time. It's not close your Bibles and purse and get ready to go time. It's decision time. You're here tonight and you're not a Christian. Tear down whatever you need to and come to Christ. This is where the direction and the favor of God begins. Come to Christ tonight when we stand. Maybe you'd like to join our church tonight. We'd love for you to. One way you can do that, when we stand, you just ease down this aisle. We'll help you. We'd love for you to join.
Christian, maybe this evening it's time you start living in the potential instead of the past. Maybe it's time you start getting God's direction and getting under God's favor. And maybe it's time for many of us to do some repenting. You know what's scary? Gideon could have said no. And so can you. Thank God Gideon said yes. And so can you. Let's stand. God leads you. You step out. You come tonight. We'll be waiting on you.